Today's reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, and have taken possession of it, and settled in it, and you say, Let us say a king over us, like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever had that question? Who am I? What is my purpose? What am I doing here in life? What value do I bring? Google Trends reveal that questions like these, like why am I here, have been in the highest in the last 12 months period in March, April this year. Deep down, this question is questioning our significance. I can still feel the buzz of February this year. I was so busy and the new year had hit the ground running and I had so many things to do. Uh, I remember being so wired up from the stress of it all, running from one essential thing to the next. And then March came around the corner, and, and as expected, was as busy as ever. And then suddenly, third week in, it all snapped. And one by one, I was suddenly stripped of everything. My mission trip was cancelled, college campus closed, a church stopped meeting, volleyball stopped, And worst of all, uh, maybe not for some people, but worst of all for me, I could no longer see anyone. Everything that gave me meaning was taken from me in a matter of days. And then that question came, who are you? What is your purpose? We are in the middle of a series at the moment on living a different story. And in these past few months, all of us, I think, have uh, had many of our habits and rhythms and structures and way of life uh, being disrupted. And in this season, we've been provided an opportunity, an opportunity to stop and to question where and on what have we 
been finding our significance. Uh, in our reading, uh, Frank read out for us a little snippet of a sermon or, or the last words of a dying man, uh, Moses. Uh, Moses had uh, led uh, two generations of Israelites. And the first generation, even though they had seen the mighty hand of God rescue them in miraculous ways, they still failed to trust God. And so Moses now, uh, in this uh, sermon, he's desperately pleading with the second generation to follow God's way. But you see, Moses has spent two generations with the Israelites, and, and he knows that they're not going to remember his words. And he knows that they're going to look at the nations around them and 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 want to be like them. And in what we read today, uh, he even predicts that one day uh, the Israelites will say these words. They'll say, let us set a king over us like the nations around us. And so Moses says, okay, fine. You can have a king, but he must be a king that God chooses and the type of king God chooses. And so in our reading today, he sets out what this king uh, should look like. And so in verse 16, we read, uh, this king must not acquire a great number of horses. And in verse 17, uh, this king must not take many wives. And in verse 17, this king must not accumulate a large amount of silver or gold. Now, at first, this seems a bit random until you understand uh, that in the ancient Near East, uh, where Israel was situated, uh, the king's horses were their military power and their wives were international marriage alliances and, and their silver and gold were their wealth. Weapons, women, wealth, these were the defining marks of a king in the ancient Near East. I mean, why else would you be a king if you don't have military power, if you don't have alliances or political power, and if you don't have wealth or economic power, what can you possibly do as a king? This king that God prescribes, is he any better than a commoner? At this stage, I think this would-be king would be feeling a bit like me in that week back in March, stripped of everything. Who am I? What is my purpose? But you see, the, the reason God puts these restrictions before the king is because he does not want the king to become dependent on these. The king is meant to be God's model Israelite. But if the king acquires a great military power, does he any longer need to trust God? I mean, he's got to. Have you seen his army? Have you seen his horses? And if he acquired many wives, we only need to read a story in the Old Testament of the kings to see how quickly his heart can be turned away by wives from foreign nations. And what if a king attains great wealth? Well, how long will it be until he's led into the snares of pride? God knows that the king will try and find his significance in these in his power, alliances, or wealth. But in the end, these will distract the king from God and lead him to his own ruin. But when, when we think about it, power, sex, money, don't we face the same temptations today? 
Can we not also be tempted to depend on these same things for our meaning and significance? It may not be exactly a military power in our case, but maybe something that we have placed our security on. Maybe something we've trusted in more than God. Maybe our job or our title. Maybe we've been relying on our health or people around us or a person. Maybe trusting in our education or ourselves even. And alliances, have we let the things of this world steal or consume our hearts? Maybe success or devotion over to what people think of us? Or maybe we've given our hearts over to pleasure or study or travelling? Have we allowed social media or our body or our image to become our God? Or, Or activism or fame our idol? And wealth... Have we been led into the same snares of pride as the king? Maybe the pride of self-made achievements or desiring people to see what we've done and made? Taking pride in our positions and titles and educational achievements? Showing off our families or our cool friends? See, these three restrictions placed before the king are placed there as a warning. Each of these things in and of themselves are good things. Like for ourselves, educational achievements, entertainment, work, health, they're good things and they're gifts from God. But the warning is this. We must not rely on them. Just like the king will never have enough and they'll only turn out to disappoint us. This is not where we find our significance. When the true king, the type of king that Moses describes in our passage, the king that God chooses, finally came, the Israelites did not recognize him. In their hearts, they were still imagining a king with great military power, a king who had alliances with the powerful and elect. They, they were imagining a king who would be wealthy. But this king, the true king, came as a outback Galilean who spent his time with despised tax collectors and lowly fishermen and and nameless sinners and this king didn't even have a place to lay his head and he took on the very nature of a servant and he even made a point to tell people not to spread the news about him and when he died he died as a common criminal outside city walls I decided to have a Google search and I, I looked up who is the most famous person of all time in history. And do you know who was at the top of the list according to Google? It was Jesus. Jesus who had uh, nothing according to the world's standards, uh, but who had everything according to God's standards. See, God does not approve of what we approve of. And God's way does not conform uh, with the opinions of the world. Instead, he exalts the humble and uses the the foolish things of this world to shame the wise and and the weak things to disgrace the strong and and the lowly things and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And so I want to ask you, by what standard are you basing your significance by God's standard or the world's?
There was a man uh, born to peasant parents in the 1600s, uh, Brother Lawrence. Uh, and he uh, was poor and lived his life as a, a humble monk uh, working in a lowly kitchen, uh, ha- as a lowly kitchen hand in a monastery kitchen. And uh, no matter how mundane or, or routine his task was, uh, he saw everything as a medium of God's love. And so whether it was stacking forks or, or turning a cake in a frying pan, uh, everything he did, he did with God. And, and so with God, he, he scrubbed pots and with God, he ran a wrens. And, and he called this practice, practicing the presence of God. He lived and died a life of obscurity. And yet, in this little kitchen, both common people and high-up church leaders from all over the country would come and and seek his spiritual guidance. And when he died, uh, his letters were collected and published, and over the four centuries since, millions of people have uh, been drawn uh, to a life of practicing the presence of God. You see, Brother Lawrence lived an insignificant life according to the world's standards. In his own words, after a simple task, he said, I would prostrate myself before him, in worship before him, who has given me the grace to work. Afterwards, I would rise happier than a king. See, Lawrence found contentment in his significance in God, that even the lowliest of tasks became significant. It is not the gifts or the things in his life that made him significant, but it was the giver of those gifts who made him significant. So as we saw, Moses warns the king not to try and put his significance in the wrong things. And we, like the king, should not depend on power or alliances or wealth uh, for our security. But, But Moses doesn't leave it there. See, there are three things we can, that God restricts the king from doing, but there is one thing, there is one thing that the king can do. And so Moses says in verse 18, he says, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, so this is what he can do. He is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. See, the one thing, the king, this is the king, the most prominent and influential person in the kingdom, the one thing he can do is let the word of God permeate his life. He can let the word of God be on his heart. He can write out the word of God and keep it with him everywhere he goes. He can read it every day of his life. He can learn to revere God and follow God's word carefully, not turning to the left or the right. See, if the king cannot rely on his strength or alliances of wealth, the one thing he can do is let truth determine his significance. And we, like the king, can let truth determine our significance. Because in scripture we are welcomed into a reality, into a truth that is so certain and secure that we no longer need 
the things of this world. We don't need to depend on other things to bring us success or, or popularity or wealth. We no longer need these to feel good about ourselves. By saturating ourselves in scripture and in a pursuit of God, here our very sense of self and self-worth are reimagined and defined. Truth should determine our significance. We don't need to prove ourselves to anyone. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, so scripture says. We don't need to prove ourselves to anyone. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. We are kings and queens, co-heirs with Christ. We are made in God's image. We are forgiven. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are loved. We are chosen and delighted in. See, we have been found in Christ. And the truth is, we cannot be found anywhere else. Martin Luther, a church, the church reformer, once said, Seek yourself in Christ and not in yourself, and you'll find yourself in him eternally. But seeking God and placing ourselves under God's word requires us to be intentional. Brother Lawrence remarked that he had to make effort to, to discipline himself to, to practice the presence of God. He had to be intentional in inviting God to, to define his every day. We cannot have God's scripture permeate our lives and our thoughts and our actions and very sense of self if we're not devoting time to reading and meditating and memorizing it. And so what, what are some ways that we can uh, be more intentional in our Bible reading? Or maybe we can plan, uh, be deliberate to set aside time and place uh, that we devote for God. Uh, we can meditate on scripture, not read it quickly, but stop and mull over and think over what we read. Maybe we could just pick out one verse a day and just come back to it over and over, put it in places where, where we can see it and like maybe on your phone background or I've seen people have little chalkboards in their house where they keep updating it and keep coming back to these verses. Another thing we can do is study scripture. Maybe we can do this with a friend and ask questions like, what does this say about God? What does this say about me? And what do I need to obey? can read commentaries or devotionals. Another thing we can do is memorize scripture. And now, apparently, um, a human brain can store up to a million gigabytes worth of storage. I, I don't know how accurate that is, but I've heard that. Um, but I, I believe we are all capable uh, to memorize scripture. And, and many of the ancient Jewish scholars had the whole entire Old Testament memorized. And the reality is the words of truth won't come if they're not memorized. So memorizing, you could just memorize verses, but you can memorize whole chapters. I know a couple who memorize a whole chapter each week. Um, they would read it together, then go over it throughout the week, and then at the end of the week they would test each other uh, on that chapter. Uh, you could do this maybe with a friend. You see, when we come to Scripture, really we are coming to God. And God longs to speak with us and to speak over us his truth and his love and our significance in him. So don't, don't treat the Bible legalistically or, or feed the lie that it's an obligation to tick off. Instead, like a tree planted by streams of living water, soak it up, meditate on it, live it, memorize it, 
Think thoughtfully on it and let it transform your heart and mind. Then scripture will permeate your life and confirm your identity and security in your loving Father. You see, the enemy is constantly going to try and undermine us and point out our weaknesses and flaws, tell us we're insignificant or incapable. But God makes our insignificance significant and our weakness strength and our humility a headship. And what if in this very way God has purpose in our weakness? In 2 Corinthians, after pleading three times uh, with Jesus to remove something that caused Paul a weakness, Jesus replies to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. At the end of last year, I was uh, privileged to visit a home of a Nepali pastor, uh, let's call him Raju, uh, in Nepal. And uh, in 1996, uh, Raju uh, woke up and suddenly found his whole body to be paralysed. And there's a picture of him in hospital in Kathmandu. Uh, While in hospital, uh, God gave him a dream. And in this dream, uh, he was lifted up. And from above, he he looked down and he saw a Himalayan tribal people uh, worshipping God in the mountains. And God told him to go and preach uh, the gospel to these unreached tribes. But looking down at his lean body and the impossibility of walking, let alone climbing and up the high Himalayas, he tried to dismiss God's call. But his wife believed that this was from God and so she yeah, encouraged him to obey. And so in his vulnerable state, he obeyed. And he got carried up in a, in a doko, which uh, was a sort of basket that people carried on their back. And tired uh, from the long journeys uh, in, in a basket, uh, he would break and stay overnight at a, a shop from an elderly Tibetan lady. And this lady, she was touched uh, by his persistent love that he would uh, make these strenuous journeys in his physical state. And because of this, soon herself became a believer. See, Raju had been stripped of everything. But because of his weakness, God, this was God's mission and could only be done in God's strength. And so now when I visited at the end of last year, there are now over 30 churches up in these Himalayan areas because of this mission. And God has since miraculously healed Raju, and he's now walking. And in 2015, Nepal was struck by an earthquake, and a number of these church buildings had been destroyed. And PBC was able to financially help rebuild one of these churches. See, God made Brother Lawrence, a humble kitchen hand, into a spiritual leader of his church. And he made Raju, a lame man, into a traveling evangelist. And he also made a shepherd boy, David, into a renowned king. And he made a fisherman, Peter, as the foundation of his church. And tax collectors and sinners, revered apostles. And he made Moses, a stuttering man, his spokesman. 
in Jeremiah, the Lord says, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have understanding to know me. So I want to leave you with a question today. And the question is this, how are you going in finding your dependence in God?